Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you are live at our campus in Charlotte or live stream, I'm Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here and always, especially after I've been away for a little bit, so glad to be able to reconnect and re-engage with you. And this series is called What in the World? And it's a, it's a series that is going to take us from the nooks and crannies of our own households, literally around the world as we see the good work that God is doing globally. And as we have a Feast of the Nations on August the 6th, you'll find out more and more about that. So a lot in there about our households, about our globe, even about this church. Today's first message in the series is called, What in the World Happened to Marriage? And if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Genesis chapter 2 and verses 24 and following. And maybe if your Bible's not here, you just, uh, the words will be up on the screen when they need to be. And, And maybe your Bible looks like mine, or maybe your Bible's loaded on your phone. Either way, Genesis is easy to find. If your Bible's like mine, open it up and turn left and you'll eventually get to Genesis. And, uh, if it's on your phone, it should be the first one that you scroll to. One of the things that we believe and understand about the Bible that you may not know yet is that although this looks like a book that I'm holding in my hand, it is not a book. It's a library written by a lot of different authors over a long span of time in multiple writing styles. And as we're in Genesis chapter 2, we're actually in the origin story of everything. This is the origin story section of the biblical library. And again, you may not have known that the Bible, not book, is like you've heard it called the good book, and now you know it's not the good book, it's the great library. And the other thing that we believe about the Bible here, and, and you may not be with us on this yet, and that's okay. We just want you to we want to have clarity that, that those of us in leadership here, we believe there's no other library like this one. We believe that God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. The Bible really is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction, we have this custom that when we talk about the Bible at this church, we lift it up. And and if you're new and this looks strange and we admit it, it is, this is unusual. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we're a collection of people who don't have life figured out, but we know who does. And because we know who who does, we are glad to surrender to his authority as he has revealed it in his will, in his word. Amen? And before I say anything else, let's pray. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's good and that it's filled with joy and truth and beauty and challenge. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired all of it. May he inspire, breathe life into me for this message on this occasion with this gathering. May the Holy Spirit breathe understanding, comprehension, and devotion into everyone within the sound of my voice. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we uh, start out this series, what in the world? With uh, a message called, what in the world happened to marriage? I'm going to do something that that I don't don't typically do. I'm going to do something that I probably shouldn't ought to do. I'm going to start out with some statistics. And the statistics that I'm fixing to... 
that I'm fixing to start out with, if, if, if you're one of those people who follow Jesus, when I share the statistics that I'm gonna share with you, you're likely to throw up your hands in the air and say, what in the world are you doing, Lord? And, and if you're one of those people who doesn't follow Jesus, and if that's the case with you, so glad that you're here. But if that's you, and, and, and I'm gonna give you some statistics, you might well be like, meh, makes sense. Not such a big deal. Well, he, here goes. Even if I shouldn't really begin the message this way, I'm going to anyway. He, here's here's, here's the, one of the biggest statistics that we, that we have. That in the years between the year 2000 and 2022, the percentage of people in the United States of America who have a house of worship they call home. Not even that they go very often, just that, oh yeah, that's my church or that's my synagogue. A house of worship they call home. It went from 70% in the year 2000 to 47% in the year 2022. Now that stunning, stunning statistic in one generation had a 23% decline in the percentage of people who have a house of worship that they call their own. We fortunately, we have not been part of that in this particular congregation, but nationally, it's definitely a trend and it is definitely unsettling as fewer people have a connection to a house of worship and can't say yes to a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you break the statistics down even further, you break them down generationally and, 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 and the percentage of people who call themselves nuns, not N-U-N-S, not those nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the percentage of people who are on a survey, well, are you, are you Baptist or Methodist or Christian or Hindu or, or Catholic? The percentage, I'm none of the above, I'm just none. In the generations, this is interesting how it breaks out. Boomers, that's people born 1946 to 1964. Only 17% of boomers call themselves. And I guess people, the greatest generation, that's before boomers, like everybody is connected to a house of worship somehow. But boomers, 17% call themselves nuns. Gen X, which is probably a lot of you born between 1965 and 1980, 23%. Then millennials, born 1981 to 1998, a lot of you as well, and a lot of you have kids who are millennials, it goes up dramatically to 36% of millennials have no connection to any kind of religion at all. They call themselves nuns. And so these statistics are really sobering and really sort of stunning. And they show us that generationally speaking, at least, there's a real crisis of faith in the United States of America that the younger the generations, the fewer people say yes to a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, again, I told you, I, beginning this with statistics, even if I don't normally do that, and I probably shouldn't do that, and some of you, you got your thinking caps on. And you're like, Talbot, you told us this message is called, What in the World Happened to Marriage? And yet you're giving, all, giving us all these statistics about faith, you told us you were talking about apples, and now you're serving up oranges. What in the world is going on? Because all these statistics you're giving about us about faith don't have anything to do with marriage, unless, unless they have everything to do with it. Unless the sort of sobering statistics that I just gave you 
come from the same data source as the sort of thrilling statistics that I'm fixing to give you. Because again, when you break these things down according to the generation and you ask the generations about their deep connection to church, who really, not, not, not just who has a house of worship they call their own, but who's really regularly involved, and you add one other factor into the question, that for those people who grew up in a home where mom and dad were married and stayed married, and again, I know that doesn't describe a lot of you. It's not the home a lot of you grew up in, and it doesn't describe a lot of the homes that you are in now. But nevertheless, the results, when you add that factor into the statistics, are really kind of remarkable, generationally speaking, that among boomers who grew up in, in, a, in a home where mom and dad were married, the percentage of boomers who are still deeply connected, regularly connected to church, 36%. Gen Xers, 35%. Millennials, the ones who we didn't think believed in it. It's almost exactly the same as Gen X and as boomers. 32% of millennials who grow up in a home where mom and dad were married and remained married have a deep, continuing, ongoing connection to church. And the most, it, it turns out that a stable home and kids growing up in a home like that becomes much easier to say yes to a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And the fascinating thing about that statistic is that mom and dad, the ones who raise their kids in that sort of stability, mom and dad don't even have to profess faith themselves. And yet the children they raise kind of remarkably are much more likely to be connected. To this is my story. My parents were, raised, were stayed married 69 years. And then, and then death, really, I mean, after 69, you're not getting a divorce after 69 years. Death did them part at 69 years, and yet they, they raised me essentially as an atheist, kind of as, as an agnostic, and I became a preacher. I, I don't recognize, some, some of you are going to, okay, <laughs> we're, we're going to go home and not believe anymore, we'll raise a little preacher. I, I don't recommend this at home. But out, out of all those statistics, it goes to show you that we have a misdiagnosis going on in our land that what we have characterized as a crisis in faith is actually a crisis in marriage. And we at Good Shepherd Church, at the start of what in the world, we are here to do something about it. And do you know why, not only in the United States in the 21st century, but do you know for why for all of human history, do you know why there has always been a crisis of marriage? The reason there's always been a crisis in marriage is because the institution of marriage has always from the beginning been under attack and subject to assault. It's so interesting how the biblical library begins. It's so interesting where marriage even comes from. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, and verses 24 and 25, Genesis chapter 1 is the boom, the creation of everything. And Genesis chapter 2 is the creation of the small things, the people. And, and, and in verse 24 and verse 25, we come to the origin story of the very first institution that God ever creates. Look what it says in verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife 
and they become one flesh. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked. Though, come on, in the Southern American translation, it says Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt and they felt no shame. It's actually, it's actually a beautiful, tender story. Because before God creates government, before God creates church, before God creates synagogue, the very first institution that God creates is marriage. And he puts, he puts his seal of approval upon marriage by giving the very first bride away. It's this remarkable story told with such beauty and tenderness in the book of Genesis. And just when things couldn't get any better, just when you see that that is the original design for marriage, just when things couldn't get any better, remembering that the Bible was not written with chapter and verse divisions, immediately, without taking a breath, the very next thing that we see in the, in the book of Genesis is chapter 3, verse 1. Look at what it says. So the, the man and the woman have been married. There's beauty. There's nakedness. There's no shame. And what? Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And the musical score behind the book of Genesis all of a sudden turns ominous. And it lets us know that from the beginning of everything, the institution of marriage, the people involved in marriage has been under attack and under assault by the evil one. Marriage writ large has been under attack. Marriages individually have been under attack. Some of you even feel like that may describe your own marriage. Those of you who are married may, married may describe your own marriage today or the marriage that you used to be part of today. And how does this, how does this assault happen? Here's how. I am convinced that Satan has convinced people of all generations that they, to, to convince themselves that they can take God's original design for marriage and improve upon it. That, that's, that's the way that Satan has assaulted and attacked the human race, that God has given us this first institution. <laughs> he made it. He defines it. He's given us the original design. And from the very beginning, people have been like, nah, we, we hear you, Lord, but we got, we got a better idea. We're good. We got a better idea. I mean, originally, maybe one of the earliest sort of improvements upon that original design was polygamy. The, the idea that you could have more than one mate at a time, even though it says here, a man and a woman becoming one, and, and, and people said, well, I'm going to become one with her and her and her and her. And, and, and and, and usually, of course, in ancient times, polygamy meant that a powerful man could have multiple wives. And, and some of you, you're like, wait, 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 polygamy. And I've heard that's in the Bible. I, I try not to read that part of the Bible, but I've heard that it's, that it's actually in the Bible. Does that mean, Talbot, that since it's in the Bible, that polygamy is okay? Uh, no. This is a classic case of the Bible describing things that it does not endorse. There are all kinds of things that are in the Bible, like murder and rape and incest. And they're in the Bible because the Bible is raw and the Bible is real. The Bible doesn't give a pretend life. It gives us life as it really is. And yet it describes these things without endorsing any of them. And in fact, the biblical characters who actually practiced polygamy, people like Abraham and people like Solomon, 
their stories never end up good. It, it is ne- they are not in there as role models. Ah, go and do that likewise. No, they're object lessons. See what morons they were and don't do the same thing. So yeah, that's one way, the human race. So, hey, we, we, got it. we know you said man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, they become one. That's the original design. We got a better idea. Another one, another better idea is in those marriages where instead of the two becoming one, one dominates the other, manipulates the other, controls the other, abuses the other. Often, especially in the case of physical abuse, that's the male against the female. But some of you, you grew up in a marriage just like that. Where God said that the two are to become one and no, and the way it it turned out, one dominated the other. Some of you grew up in that marriage. Some of you are in that kind of marriage now. And some of you were, and that's why you're not today. Whether you were the victim of it or the villain in it. We have this original design, and people came up with a redesign. And speaking of redesign, more modern times has been the idea that we we move the understanding and the definition of marriage beyond what what we read in Genesis chapter 2, where it's a man and a woman, and, and it becomes two people regardless of gender, and, and in fact, leveraging from two people regardless of gender, I don't know if you know, there, there's a movement now for, for three people to be married. It's called a throuple instead of a couple. And it's, it's a thing. And you think I'm exaggerating? It's not. It, it, it's a thing. And it, it's really all is a kind of a step to the elimination of gender altogether. And it sounds really loving. And it sounds completely kind. And it is sort of mandated to be celebrated in our culture but the truth is, with all the love we can muster, we're going to stand. We're going to stand with Jesus, because when Jesus could have redefined marriage, I don't know if you know this or not. Sometimes you hear, "Well, Jesus never really talked about marriage." Yeah, he did. You just don't like what he said. When Jesus could have redefined marriage, he reinforced it instead. Because look at Matthew chapter nineteen, and verses three through five. And this is when Jesus really sort of gets a softball thrown at him in the guise of a hardball. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And what a marvelous opportunity. Jesus could have said, ah, that stuff's old. You don't need to follow that. I got a whole new definition of marriage for I'm, I'm, I'm changing the game. But instead, look at what he says. Verse 4, haven't you read? He replied. That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And some of you are like, wait, didn't we just read that? Yes. Jesus knew Genesis because Jesus breathed life and truth into Jesus to be into Genesis to begin with. So, so when Jesus could have redefined it, he reinforced it. When he could have upgraded it, he upheld it when he could have taken the original design and and improved upon it. No, 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 he he treasured it. And maybe out of of all the ways that that we modern people, I mean, it's been going on from the beginning of time, but modern people 
have tried to improve upon the original design for marriage. Maybe nothing is more common and, and, and more frequent than, than what goes on in so many circles today where, where marriage, you, you probably heard, it's just a piece of paper. It's just a technicality. And this has given rise, and this started in Western Europe, and it's really hitting North America these days as well, a, a, a rise, rise is the wrong word, a dramatic decrease in the numbers of people getting married at all. And, and uh, I mean, there may be all kinds of TV shows about how to have a pretty wedding, which is why we want to have people have beautiful marriages. But there may be all those TV shows, but the percentages of people actually getting married is going down and down and down as, as people either move from partner to partner to partner or an occasional partner or, or just realize, eh, it's just a piece of paper. I don't need to take it very seriously. You may not have known this, but you, you notice there's some apartments being built. And if you live in one of the apartments, right, we are so glad you're here. That's awesome. But there's a lot of apartment construction everywhere. Hey, can I hear an amen? I mean, like everywhere in, in Charlotte and Fort Mill, and T, it's apartments everywhere. It's not just here. It's all over the country. And apartments are capital markets because every apartment uh, complex has to be financed. And the capital markets are betting that more and more people are going to find themselves in less and less permanent relationships. And the way that's most easily lived out is in sort of the more temporary nature of apartment living, which is not really any less expensive than a mortgage, rather than the more permanent nature of home building. So capital markets are betting that the rate of decline of people actually getting... That was worth coming to church for today. That it is actually on, on the, the, the decline, there's an increasing decline. And, and so all of these are redefinitions and improvements on the original design on marriage. And all of them, whether it's polygamy or whether it's abuse or whether it's the elimination of gender, or whether it's just a piece of paper, all of them have incredibly negative effects on faith, on the generations, on all of us. Because when you think about it, I mean, just think in general, when, when you've got an original of something and the human race and its brilliance tries to come up with an improvement on that original, the results are never good, are they? Like, like, like eggs. We got the original scrambled eggs, right? You, you got the eggs, you scrambled them, that's the original. And what did we come up with in our wisdom? We came up with egg beaters. No, it tastes like cardboard. No, thank you. Or steak. We got ribeye steak. That's the original steak. The OG steak is the ribeye steak. And what did we come up with? Salisbury steak. That tastes worse than cardboard. No, thank you. Or we got musically. We got Led Zeppelin. Come on, boomers. Come on, boomers in the house. We got Led Zeppelin. That's the original design. And what comes along? First, there was White Snake, and then well, there was Greta Van Fleet, and both were all kinds of awful. Both were just pretenders to the original design. Every time you have an original and we try to improve it, it just causes diminishing returns over and over again. And with all that in mind, here, here's where it lands us. 
Here's, here's what I want you to know, not only about this church, but about the scripture and, and, and where we stand. Because at Good Shepherd, the, the church that launched the beautiful marriage movement, here's what we believe. While many try to improve the original design for marriage, we're going to cherish it instead that the human race from the beginning has taken a look at God's gift to them and said, nah, we know better. We're not going to improve that original design. We're going to cherish the original design. We're not going to upgrade the original design. We're going to uphold it. We don't want to be all about reinventing it. We're about reinforcing it. See, we believe that God invented marriage, that he based it in gender, and that it is good, and it is beautiful, and it is filled with joy, and that in those marriages where children come, it is the most fertile soil. It is the best location to pass on the faith to the next generation. And because of that, because that's what we believe, we, at this church, we're going to do everything that we can to resource, to disciple people who are not yet married, to people who were married, to people who are already married. We want to do everything that we can to help turn those pretty weddings into beautiful marriages. Yeah, that while some may try to improve that original design, we're going to cherish it. Now, I know. I know, I know what some of you are like, because I know a lot of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. This that you're talking about does not describe the house that I grew up in. I grew up in the middle of all kinds of turmoil and trauma. My parents weren't married, didn't stay married, and yet I love Jesus. And, or, or, or your own marriage didn't work out, and you're trying to raise kids as a single parent. Or, or you, you had children and never got married, and you're wondering how that fit. You, you're, you're wondering, are, is my goose cooked? Listen, statistics matter. And I feel like we need to know statistics, even if especially if they make us uncomfortable. Yet having said that, your presence here indicates that you are already the exception to the rule. Your presence here means that just so you need to be aware of what is going on and aware of the larger cultural forces and even aware of some of the obstacles that you will face, but God is good, forgiveness is real, and God's not the God of the second chance. He's the God of another chance. And I have to believe that a lot of the single parents in here, that you will raise not only people who come to say yes to a living relationship with Jesus Christ, but you're going to raise the next great kingdom proclaimer. Because we're not here. While some people try to improve the original design of marriage, we're to cherish it. See, the... At this church, we, we want you to know that when I talk about, and when we talk about the beautiful marriage movement, it's not just a, a phase this church is going through. It's not just a slogan that we have at this church, but it is, it's a comprehensive strategy that really comes from the idea that we don't want to manage crises. We want to prevent them. Did you catch that difference? We have this conviction that rather than dealing with problems downstream, we address them upstream. 
And when we resource and disciple couples well early on in the relationship, we can circumvent problems be ever, before they ever become major. And, and, and speaking of that sort of a, a approach, here's another statistic that I think will make sense of all the other statistics. 85% of churches in the USA spend $0 on marriage ministry. 85% spend nothing on marriage ministry. And of the, as you might imagine, we're in the 15% who do massive investments of staff time and energy and resources. But, but know, know this, even among, and this is what we did tell you just a few years ago. Oh yeah, we, we invest in marriage. If, you, if your marriage is in, in trouble, we'll send you to counselor. Well, thanks a lot. That's crisis, that's crisis management. We want to deal with crisis prevention. And that's why we had that married up event just at, at the end of June. And, and that's why this fall we're going to have re-engage, which I'm going to tell you about in a, in a minute. And, and for people who are already married and merged, for people who are seriously dating or engaged, because all, all along we want to resource and develop people to prevent crises rather than managing. Because no one at the end of their days, no one on their deathbed ever says, man, I wish I'd been married a few more times. <laughs> Nobody says that. But what they do say, I am so glad we persevered. Maybe even if I didn't get it right the first time, I'm so glad I persevered. It wasn't always easy. He had morning breath. <laughs> she listened to disco. <laughs> but we persevered. That's, that's what we want. And those of you who are single and single again, know this. Every single, single person is blessed when beautiful marriages surround you. Every single, single person is blessed and favored when in your neighborhood, in your church, in your life group, in your family, there's less trauma, less instability, and there is, there is more beauty. Every single one of you. Also, later this fall, we're launching a, a new relationship initiative all about winning at relationship that's completely designed for relationships for every stage of life from teenagers all the way through adults with a special focus, hello, on people who are single and single again because we want people to have be equipped relationally speaking because you single adults in the house you're going to be in relationships with difficult people you need to know how to deal with that you're, you're going to be in relationship with normal people you're going to need to know how to deal with you're going to be the difficult person that another normal person is in relationship with you're going to need to know how to deal all of that. So be waiting for later this fall when we have that relationship focus, really, really with an emphasis of ways that, uh, our way of saying we want to love single adults well. And, and for all of you, what I'm, going to, what I'm going to tell you next, I, I want you to make sure you write this down. What I'm going to tell you next, this is true. If you're married, seriously dating, engaged, single, you can write it down because because we just want, we, we want all of you, everyone who, who ultimately, who is married or ultimately gets married, we, we want you to have the relationship savvy to be like that guy who one time after many years of being married forgot his wife's birthday 
And when he's confronted with the information by the wife whose birthday he done forgot on the spot, in the heat of the moment, that guy says, well, honey, how do you expect me to remember your birthday when you never look any older? <laughs> Julie was so happy. <laughs> Got me out of so much trouble. We want you to be, here's what I want. Be a student of your mate. Be a student of your mate. Study your mate. Become aware of, of, of their quirks and, and their needs and, and their desires. For real, Julie's really good at this. She knows that I have so much insecurity. I do not need to be, know how much she loves me. I just need to be told how great I am. And she's, she's, she's really good at that. You, you do the same. Study your mate's needs. Pay attention to how they tick and what makes them work. And as you study those needs, you will build beauty into your relationship because good shepherd, who else? Who else was there who studied the needs of his bride? Who else was there who understood that the greatest need of his bride was not education and was not self-esteem. It was in fact forgiveness of sins. And who provided that forgiveness exactly to that bride? Jesus, only Jesus. Because the same biblical library that begins with a marriage between a man and a woman in a garden in the book of Genesis, it ends with a marriage between the king and his bride in a garden in the book of Revelation. And the great truth of that design and the great treasure of that institution is woven throughout all the pages in between. We're going to cherish it. We're going to treasure it. And that is what this church is doing about marriage. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you that you have given us this design. We repent for the ways we thought we knew better. Reinforce to us your goodness, and your beauty. In Jesus' name, amen.